Albuquerque's annual Pride Fest parade hit the streets again today for the first time since the pandemic began. Tamara Lopez found out why this year's LGBTQ event was extra special for some. crowds came out to celebrate Pride Fest with the annual parade. This year was even more meaningful for some parade goers. So this is actually my first Pride. I've never been to Pride before. Um, so I'm super excited. Ariana says this is her first Pride celebrating openly. Just freedom for the most part. Being able to be who you are finally and just, you know, especially in this day and age, we're going through a lot and I'm very happy to be able to be out here with everybody and just be happy about who we are. Her group, along with hundreds of others, tried to cool off in the heat. But after a pause from the pandemic, not even the sun could scorch the excitement of a full-fledged pride parade. I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, We're talking about Pride Month. Celebrated in America every June, the time of year when we recognize the impact that lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer individuals have had on history. Celebrated uh, in various countries around the world, Pride celebrations take a variety of forms, from parades and parties to proms and protests since the beginning of the modern LGBTQ plus liberation movement in the 1970s, hundreds of independent pride events have sprung up in cities worldwide, each distinctly local and generally tied in some way to the foundational Stonewall riots in June. After 50 years of pride celebrations, These events have become so varied that you can usually find a way to celebrate that feels best to you. Whether it's the raucous jubilation of the NYC Pride Parade or the massive crowds that attend World Pride held in a different city every two years. The Stonewall Riots started with a police raid on a hot summer night in Greenwich Village. In the early morning hours of June 28, 1969, police stormed the Stonewall Inn, a well-known gay bar, arresting patrons and forcing them into waiting police vehicles. But a nearby crowd grew restless and angry, and eventually someone started spurring onlookers into fighting back. They pelted the police, forcing homophobic cops to retreat, and aggressive street confrontations continued uh, over the next few nights, actually. The Stonewall riots are generally viewed as the beginning of the modern LGBTQ rights movement. This week, we'll talk to Las Cruces residents Kat Sanchez, JT Pettis, and Casey Combs about why More than 50 years after Stonewall, it's important to continue observing Pride Month. First, thank you all for joining us today. Let's start by just going around the table and letting each of you introduce yourself. 
Kat, we'll start with you. Damien, thank you so much for inviting me uh, to be a part of this podcast episode. My name is Kat Sanchez, and I am a Borderlands-raised child, originally from El Paso, but moved to New Mexico first to go to state, and then, of course, as the land of entrapment does, brings you right back in. And I'm incredibly happy to be here and be part of the community and be finally settled down with a partner of 10 years and four kids. And uh, JT. Hi, uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm JT Perez. Um, yeah, I, I live in New, uh, Las Cruces as well. I've been here for over a decade, since 2010. Um, I'm quite involved in the queer community. I consider myself uh, a transgender activist, an advocate, and um, I am from the Dallas area. My family is from here, so that's why I moved back here. And um, I don't consider it entrapping. You know? <laughs> I, I kind of like it here compared to Dallas and the big cities. But thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, Casey? Um, hi, I'm Casey Combs. Um, I was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, and then uh, for the past three years, I've been in Las Cruces attending New Mexico State University as a BSW student with a double minor in gender and sexuality studies and dance. Um, yeah. Perfect. I kind of want to start out by talking about how nearly 53 years after Stonewall, I guess next week will will be 53 years, why it's so important to continue celebrating Pride. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. I think it's important because because we're still being discriminated against. And that's that was the whole purpose. That's why we started having these Pride events. Um, actually, there were riots, right? Um, and it was to bring awareness that, you know, you can't quit telling us how to, how to be, how to, how to live, how to be present in our bodies. Um, you know, they used to call us demoralizing. I mean, they, they, were, ju- they were just horrible uh, to the queer community. And when I talk today, I'm talking about society at large and policemen and, and laws against us. Um, so as long as we're still going to be discriminated against, as long as there's still hate crimes against us, I think it's really important to keep, you know, having these pride events. And I wish it wasn't just a, a, a pride event um, just every June. I, I think more awareness needs to be brought out throughout the year and not just a small focus, especially since we're focusing on our rights, since the lawmakers are focusing on our rights throughout the whole year, right? Why can't we bring more awareness, concentrated awareness to our, to our lives um, throughout the year? That, and, and that's why I think we keep celebrating. Plus, you know, hey, we're fun people and we all love each other. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and, it's like, you know, JT... Uh, it's it's been said that that parades are are protests, and y- you mentioned that it started out as riots, but and yes, it did. But even the idea of holding a parade is in itself an act of protest. You know, it's demanding attention. Right, it can be, and 
that was the purpose in the beginning. Yes, it was to bring awareness to our lives, right? And to like demand better living situations and to be treated with respect and dignity, right? And it continues on. And, you know, I think there's a lot of pushback as far as like how we go about having our parades and what we celebrate. But I also think that was a strong reaction to like how society decided that they were going to label us, right? And so, I don't know, if I've been known to push back, and so if people are going to label me as a troublemaker, then let me show you trouble. Um, so I can understand where <laughs> maybe, like, I'm thinking of some parades where, you know, people get down to their underwear or, you know, their their Speedos or it's just, well... Hey, let's celebrate us in the best way that we can and be free to express how we are. <laughs> I saw so many great videos of the Albuquerque Pride Parade a couple of weekends ago, and Governor Michelle Luan Grisham was there, and she was certainly decked out and high-fiving people and lots and lots of people turned out for that. Nice. I hadn't seen those uh I've been kind of like in my own little world, so I hadn't seen anything yet. You've but, been you've um, been in the the JT bubble. I have been very much in the JT bubble. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Damien, to that end, um, JT had mentioned some very good reasons, and and I I want a plus one on on some of those as to why Pride is still relevant, still needs to be celebrated fifty three years later. But also, I'll start off by saying, with your mention of the governor, let's be real. No one puts on a party like the LGBTQ community. And that's why she's high-fiving. That's why we're all having a good time is because no one really puts on a party, right? And that's like the fun aspect of it. But to be... And, and she also uh, she also met with the president later that day. It was about three hours before he flew into to Kirtland Air Force Base. Oh, yes. I <laughs> We were there and, and uh, almost the whole city was shut down either for, for the president or for pride, but which, you know, again, we know how to throw a party. So we shut it down. I'm very, very excited uh, because it's been a while since I've been to pride and everybody, especially during quarantine, I feel like so many people came out and I was anticipating that there was going to be a very large crowd today. And there is, and I'm so excited. I'm very, very happy. Well, newer pride attendees celebrate those who have been attending for years also still remembered how it all began. Pride is still a protest, of course, um, but I'm glad that we're all celebrating together. And happy Pride. Yeah, happy Pride. Yeah. Tamara Lopez, KOB4. But the, the other side for me, and and it's, you know, there's def several different layers to this. The first is for me, of course, remembering the shoulders on which we stand Um to be able to live with a little more dignity, with a little more freedom, with a little more respect. Those shoulders are Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera. And I, I can never forget that because we have come a long way. But at any given moment, as we've seen in the past several years, you can lose, start losing and having your rights chipped away. As we just recently saw in Idaho, I believe it was Coeur d'Alene, where there were white nationalists who were arrested. They were about to go into and disrupt a pride event. And that's why it's so important is because we still have individuals, whether they are a vocal minority or not, because even vocal minorities can change laws in different communities and different states and even in federally. That's why it's so important to continue having pride events to remind individuals that we need 
need body autonomy. We need to be able to live with dignity and respect. And I just, just before we got on, Damien, I asked one of my 18-year-old daughters, I said, is pride still important to you? Is it still a, still a thing? And she said, absolutely. We still need it. And from a middle-aged individual to my 18-year-old, one of my 18-year-olds, it's still an important facet of our community and, and needing to have that togetherness, needing to feel bonded with one another as, as our own community, and also needing to just show society that we are still here. There is still a necessity to continue moving forward with rights and access to all of the resources that we need to thrive. Sure. Kind of the, the loud and proud approach. In part, in part, yeah. There's There are so many different ways to affect change, pride parades and pride month. And as we know in Las Cruces, it's too hot to celebrate in June, so we wait until October. But in several different ways, we affect that change. And this is one of those ways. And, and JT was right. We need it more than just once a year. Um, but, it, you know, it takes many different ways to change and to have movement. Casey, I'll put the same question to you. Nearly 53 years after Stonewall, why is it so important to continue celebrating Pride? Yeah, 100%. Um, I I agree with you, Kat. Um, there, there are these people who are a part of this quote-unquote vocal minority. But also, I think it's really important because it's important that we remember our history because that's the only way we can move forward. Um, there are so many queer elders that are out there in the community who who were there 53 years ago and who were fighting the fight during the AIDS epidemic and who who remember these like stringent laws that were in place that didn't allow us to express ourselves in public and it's important that we we not only honor ourselves but we also honor our elders in that way um because we we wouldn't be here with them i'm i just turned 21 a couple of days ago um and I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't have those queer elders in my community fighting for what they fought for and being, being here and live, raising their voices and empowering me to raise my voice. And so I think not only is it important because of that vocal minority, but it's also important that we recognize that our elders did so much for us to be here in this moment. And pride is a celebration of all of the people that came before us who are with us, who are still with us, and those also that unfortunately are not with us anymore. And it's a celebration of their queerness and their ability to live their life. And it's so important that we continue to celebrate that because for a lot of people, um, the queer community is the only family that they have. The queer community is the only, are the only people that are going to remember them. And if we can do that by having a pride celebration, by being able to celebrate our authentic selves, I think that pride is more than important for us to celebrate. Casey, I want to stick with you and we'll move on to the next question. Can each of you kind of talk a little bit about your personal journeys and how you got to where you are right now? I came out back in 2016. I was... How old was I then? I, no, it wasn't 2016. It was 2015 because I was 14 at the time. 
and I decided that I wanted everyone to know, like, immediately, um, because a lot of the rhetoric that we hear around coming out is that, like, it, it, like, you never stop coming out, and I, I wanted to, like, challenge that, so I decided that I was going to come out on Facebook, um, and I came out on April Fool's, because if it went terribly, I could snatch it back, um, but luckily, it didn't go terribly. Um, I I posted on Facebook. The post is still up. It's um, I'm as straight as my hair. Um, April Fools. Like in the comment section, I was like April Fools, and like the the joke is like I have really curly hair, and so like it was a it was a funny joke at the time. I'm um, looking back, it's kind of embarrassing, but it is what it is. And after that, my mom was very accepting of me. Um, she immediately found me um, like youth groups and support groups that were out and about in um, Albuquerque. I went to the Transgender Resource Center for a while. They had a group that met for twice a month or like once every month, something like that. Um, and then through them, I found another organization called Teen Empower. And I went there from the time I was 15 to the time I was 18. And during my time there, I decided to run for Miss New Mexico Pride Youth 2018. And that was really what like catapulted me into being involved within the queer community, specifically in Albuquerque. I was doing multiple um, drag shows every month. I was doing community outreach. I was raising money for the Trevor Project. And I, I just was able to really like integrate myself into the queer community in such a very unique way because not many... Not many 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds can um, say that they were they were um, performing like all over New Mexico. Like during that year, I was performing in Taos, I was performing in Santa Fe, and that was really what catapulted me into like acknowledging the queer community and acknowledging my queer elders. And then moving on from that, um, after I graduated from high school, I decided to come to NMSU, which is my mom's alma mater, and now I work for Family and Youth Innovative Service. Um, as a youth peer influencer, helping out with a lot of their House of Kala stuff, which is our specifically LGBTQ programming, because I I was able to have a lot of those experiences within the queer community, guided by other queer people, and I want to be able to do that for like this upcoming generation, because like I had said previously, it's where we need to acknowledge our elders and all the work that our elders have done for us, and unfortunately that that knowledge isn't being passed down in our like public education system and so a lot of what we have to learn is through our queer peers not to like rhyme but uh our like other queer people like that's where we get our knowledge from and i want to be able to be a part of that experience for other people because it was such a formative experience for me and such a formative formative event in how i view myself and how i view my community now sure Kat? Um, yeah, thank you for that question. First, I want to shout out to Casey. Um, I love that. I'm as straight as my hair because, Casey, I, too, have curly hair. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you you too are, are as straight as my hair. 
Yeah, as straight as your hair. Um, so, uh, samesies, I'm just about as straight as my hair. <laughs> um, and I also want to plus one to um, Casey saying, like, you never stop coming out. And for for some folks, that's incredibly true. Not, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but in my case, that has been true, even though I came out when I was, what, 19, uh, 18, 19. Um, there have been some moments where the assumption is that I'm straight and I would correct them and say that no in fact my partner is female but my journey and and you know I, I think Casey's so so lucky to, to be able to have come out at 14 that just was not a possibility for me I waited until I was out of the house I waited until I was a safe environment at, at university at NMSU go Aggies to to be able to, to live my authentic self so I came out when I was outside of my father's house because that just was not going to be a possibility and it's I look back on that piece as a learning point for myself and as a, a touchstone for others because others have to come out, not have to, but others come out in the space and the time that is important and right for them. For Casey, it was 14. For me, it was much later. For some folks, it's much, much later in life. And each of us has a unique um, story as to how our journey, as to how we got to the point. And some is some, for some folks, it's a little bit more difficult. For some folks, they have amazing support systems to live themselves fully. In my own family, I have a, a nephew who has come out as trans at a younger age. And my sibling has been just so supportive, which was not the same case a decade ago. Our father would not have had that in, in his household. But now my nephew gets to be the amazing human being they can be. And my mom is, she makes a few mistakes here and there, but she is learning the language, embracing her grandchild and asks questions so that she can be a better support, supportive person for her. And it, it does take time. And I wish it was that loving the person for the person. I wish Damien that it was that same case it, now over generations, uh, 53 years after Stonewall. It's not always the case. And, you know, to Casey's point, as a community, we need to be embraceive. We need to show that love and have our queer peers around us so that we could step in and be that support system when that's not the case at, at home yeah it, it does take time it's, and I it's wish loving it the person for the person sure jt i know we could do a whole hour on your story but give it to us in a, a nutshell yeah i agree with everybody else as far as like you know you're still coming out so i am transgender and i was assigned female at birth basically for common people right that means that that i was born a girl and um my phase of phases of coming out were well i thought it was just about sexuality so i came out as 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 a lesbian before my 20s around um, 17 i think right out of high school again you know, Kat spoke about being safe and maybe I had some inclination that, you know, I was attracted to women during school, but yeah, it wasn't something we did back in the eighties. <laughs> and, uh, right. yeah, it, it, you just didn't have that, um, luxury. And then, and then, so now, you know, I came out as lesbian and then went off to school, did work and it wasn't until I moved here 
that, and I started volunteering with the local LGBTQ center that we used to have here, that I learned about what transgender was. And then I met some guys from the Transgender Resource Center. They put on some Transgender 101s. And how they were talking about it made me feel so comfortable. Like, oh, sure, there's something more to me. Was that, <laughs> you know? was and, that um, by chance, Adrian Lawyer? Yeah, Adrian Lawyer and Zane Stevens. Who yeah, and Zane, Zane, sure. And it was actually Zane that I... I don't know. I felt more comfortable. I, what Zane was saying is exactly what I was feeling inside. And so after talking it over with like, yes, my my wife at the time, but also community members, you know, what is this transgender thing? Because back in, that was around 2012. So anyway, came out as transgender at 2013. And it actually wasn't until after I came out as trans, that I was okay with me saying, you know what, I'm not just interested in well, as far as relationships go, right, I'm interested in women, but, you know, sexually, I'm bisexual. So it wasn't until after I came out as trans that I did I become more comfortable in my myself, my, you know, my confidence in self right. to say that I'm, I'm bisexual, too. You know, like I've had those experiences as well. And it doesn't seem as daunting as it was back when I was 17. And again, this is probably, JT, this is probably a really good time to point to the fact that gender identity does not go hand in hand with sexual preference or sexual identity. Right. And, you know, I used to think it was the same thing. And um, I can understand why a lot of people would think that sexuality is all about like who you want to have sex with. And it's not about the clothes I put on to express how I feel about myself. And say like someone who's cisgender, someone like you, Damien, you go to the store and you know which part of the store to go to, to pick to, your clothes out. Right, right. I, I know, I know yeah. what, what section I'm shopping in. <laughs> <laughs> Society has told you for a very long time what section you belong in. And um, and they yeah, say so. men's or women's, <laughs> you know? Right. There's no gray area, is there? That's so silly. But maybe yeah, JT wants to buy um, jeans instead of a dress. Oh, definitely. That was definitely me when I was a kid. Oh, going to back to school, you know, going shopping for back to school stuff <laughs> was horrible for me and the stuff I had to put on. Not like my mom put me in dresses all the time, but just all the girly stuff. It was just so awful. That just that so awful. first day of school photo, yeah. I can I can only imagine. Yeah. I was very uncomfortable. Well, um, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that with us for all of you. I want to kind of take a minute or two to explore the intersection of LGBTQ issues and mental health. I know JT and I have talked an awful lot about this in the past. Does anyone want to talk about how those challenges may be unique in the LGBTQ community? I'll, I'll take a, a first opportunity um, just to say that mental health issues at its very base are already complex with individuals across the board. That complexity increases with intersections of identities. So, um, and I'll speak for myself here, being a, a queer woman of color who is a child of, of an immigrant, 
those complexities and those layers um, stack on top of one another. Yeah. Talking um, about talking about layers. Right. Some of the microaggressions that that I encounter for any one or all of my identities at once, being a woman, being a woman of color and being queer. So what I would say to 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 that piece is with that complexity, I would say that mental health issues, at least in my case, have been exacerbated because of the microaggressions, because of an oppressive system, you know, steeped in white supremacy that tells me I'm wrong in several different several different manners of, of who I am. Um, so for me, it just adds to and those are very hard to parse apart and try to articulate to individuals who m- may not want or be able to understand. So there are some who want to understand, but they, you know, I'm not explaining it correctly or I can't articulate it. And there are some who just don't care and they don't want to understand. I'm just right. in a box. And that adds to that, to those complexities. Casey? Um, yeah, um, I really, echoing what Kat said, um, like we can't look at mental health um, in any capacity without looking at the other identities that the people who are experiencing mental health complexities um, also hold. Like um, like Kat said, like um, I am a like black person, I'm queer, I come from a lower socioeconomic status, um, on top of, on top of, on top of, and those are all going to have an impact on um, my mental health. Um, but I also don't think that that um, takes away from like the very real like experiences that specific that are um, specific to the LGBTQ community. Um, I I don't know if the statistics been updated, but um, like youth LGBT youth suicide was like the second leading cause of death in the United States for like such a long time. But now research is coming out saying that using like using the pronouns that they tell you that they want to use and using their name that they tell you that they want to use and referring to them in a manner that is affirming to their gender um, and having this space for them reduces their chance of suicide by like it's like in the 90 percentiles. And so like, oh, my. I I think it's just really important that we we take a step back to realize, um, like Kat said, that like mental the he- mental health system is steeped in white supremacy, and um, we we need to take a step back to realize what that means, um, and what that means specifically for LGBTQ people and LGBTQ youth, because our youth are in a disproportionate amount of danger when it comes to mental health because they may not have supportive systems. They may not live in a house that accepts them and they may not choose when they get to come out. And that could really, really um, affect the way that they perceive their own mental health. And it really is kind of layers of, of the onion JT. I think you can probably speak to that 
too. Yeah, echoing what everybody else says, right? It's 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 how we're growing, how the society we grow up in, and how we have to adapt to it. And then if we don't have the room to to blossom uh, at home or in society, in schools, at our workplace, we are going to internalize all those messages that we receive from society. We're going to internalize it and have it affect us greatly. And that that is what part of my story. It, you know, I am a dark brown Mexican man that grew up in white neighborhoods in the Dallas, Texas area. Yes, I have those messages of what it's, it is to be a dark Mexican. And it's just... I used to work for an HIV organization where I had to teach these classes about how society affects our self-esteem and then the choices that we end up making, the risks that we will take with our lives, our mental health. I'm talking about using substances. I'm talking about our sexual risks. Right. These are things we start we start devaluing ourselves. Right. And we, we start making choices that could affect us long term. I did do that. I did start using substances. I did start experimenting and I'm not blaming it all on society. I, I you know, but you, you something that affects took risks. my family. Yeah. Right? So um, I'm just prone to depression. And so, yeah, these things do. We start looking outside ourselves for what could, you know, fix us for what's, you know, the empty emptiness that we're experiencing. Yeah. And often we find things that cannot fix us. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I don't, you know, talking about my personal experience, I know that affects so many people in our queer community um, and especially trans community. The more marginalized you are, right? Um, this is what Kat was speaking of. The more marginalized you are, the more likely I mean, you can't get employed. You can't, you know, you're not going to be accepted into all these areas that a lot of people take for granted. And so things are going to affect us differently and they're going to impact us more strongly. And, and we're going to try to numb that out. And I'm not saying that that's an answer to the, you know, symptom, but I also think it's pretty common. There is still a lot of hatred out there uh, targeted toward the LGBTQ community. And I know it's painful, but can you each kind of talk to me about your experience? Um, as far as the hate, it's, it is hard and it's so hard that it's really hard for me to remember. Um, I just know of experiences where I know I didn't get a job that I wanted. Um, they were not going to say it's cause I'm trans, but I can, you, you kind of knew. Yeah. You mm -hmm. kind of knew it was. Um, my documents don't line up. You know, I still have not changed my name, even though I've been meaning to and I've been meaning to. So, yes, it's, I think it's very easy to come across people that looking at my birth name and, you know, they're pretending to ex accept things. But, you know, I'm going to my resume is going to be pushed somewhere else. But as far as the the obvious hate stuff, when Kat was mentioning the white nationalists there. There, I saw the news article on that, and I was just so taken back. You know, I can't believe that this is still going on, and um, I, it, it affects me pretty strongly. So I don't, I don't feel like I should be answering this question. I think Pat's pretty, Cat's pretty calm. <laughs> <laughs> pass, I pass. 
So uh, this is, what I think, what I would say to that end, Damien. Um, it's still palpable. And for some folks, and, uh, you know, again, hatred is a very strong word. There are some folks who don't understand um, and when you have a conversation one-on-one, they are coming from a better place or, or a more educated place. Uh, for some, they are learning from an interpretation of a book that says X, Y, and Z in that interpretation. Um, but hatred is a, a very strong word. I don't know that everybody has that in them. To that end, those... The, absolutely. To that end, there are some folks who it is absolutely a hatred for whatever reason. Maybe it's internalized queerophobia. There is an aspect of the queer spectrum that resonates so hard that they have to stuff it down and it comes out as hate. Um, it's very, very real. Orlando was not more than a few years ago, the, the massacre at the in Orlando. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not that far from our, our collective memory. We just had those white nationalists in Idaho who were, who were arrested. It's, it's palpable. It's real. Um, and it scares me. It scares me as a human being. It can impact some choices that I make in my life. Do I hold my partner's hand in thus and such a neighborhood? Um, do I have to be so hyper aware when we're having dinner together on a date, on a date night, that I can't even enjoy the conversation because I'm trying so hard to see if if the way that we look at each other and give googly eyes to each other is going to trigger someone else to react in a in a terrible manner. Um, so it's even though it's not, even though we may not see it every day. Um, I think it would be fair to say that a good portion of our community lives at such a hyper-awareness, which of course intersects with our mental health, that we have no choice but to be on our toes all the time because you never know when that white nationalist group is, is getting rounded up. You never know when that person who has learned from that book is going to berate you in public. Does that mean that we have to live our lives scared all the time? No, that's why there is pride. That's why we can find joy with one another and being in community with one another. But I would be remiss if, if I didn't acknowledge that there are aspects that are that keep us on edge, that keep us in fear, and that impact some of the choices that we make. Let's talk about the uh, youth LGBTQ experience. In many ways, I think they have it worse as they kind of struggle with their identity. Casey, let's start with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that uh, this is like, like you had said earlier, it's like an onion. There are, there are so many layers to to this. And I think the, the one I want to, or there are two ones that I want to touch on. And one of them is echoing what Kat said. It's that like, even when we are out as LGBTQ youth, I remember having my first partner and I wouldn't let them like hold my hand in public because I was so terrified that someone was going to decide that like we were going to be the next like news headline, like this next hashtag. And so like that, 
that really was like I was 16 at that time like I I shouldn't have been worrying about like if I walk down the street like do I like our hands can't be touching like I can't I have to be hyper vigilant of like who's looking at us and like what cars are passing us um, and unfortunately that's the that's the lived experience for not just a lot of the youth but a lot of our queer elders as well and I I also do think that um, in some ways LGBTQ youth do have it harder um, but in other ways we we have it easier too I think one of the ways that we have it harder is that there's this hyper um, awareness of like all of the negative aspects that can come with you coming out. We always hear news stories about how LGBTQ youth come out and then they're kicked out of their homes or they're sent to conversion camps or um, they decide that they want to take their life after they come out because their family is just so unaccepting of them. And I think that's not a unique experience. It's not a new experience in any way. But I do think that at least for me and a lot of the people that I've talked to, we we do carry the weight of like our elders put in all of this work and we've we've gotten so far, we've done so much, but here we are still like scared to walk down the street um like expl- uh, having like PDA or um, like I I know that like if I go out like I I can't be the only like queer person there because like if I'm the only queer person in a room full of like my cis straight counterparts that automatically puts me in danger regardless of how safe everyone else is and I think that's that's what flows through my mind so cat JT, I don't know. It's been so many years since you were a, a youth. <laughs> Damien, are you calling me? Are you calling me out here? <laughs> um, uh, right? Let like wine get up. better with age. <laughs> um, Cat, um, Cat, and JT. Um, uh, what were your experiences like in youth? Well, now, Damien, you, you called me out as being old. Let's see if I can remember what it was like. <laughs> um, you know, the, the things that I have seen change over time. Uh, one, we've lost a generation of predominantly men because of HIV AIDS. And if you look at it, when you go to a pride event, you can see a chunk missing. And that's very real because we're whew, we're, gonna, those, we're never going to get those brothers back. Right? Those were those hard. were men of age in the 80s, largely. Yes. yes. And that that's hard to see. That's or that's hard to not see them there. Um, other things that we've seen, though, like with social media, and I know that puts a lot of pressure on on our youngsters now that they can't live without being online in some form or another. And that puts them at a different risk. But because of the advent of social media and other people coming out, having these conversations with our kids, having these conversations with with our parents, or at least me having these conversations is easier because it it's it's uh, the information is more available. It is normalized in our media uh, a little more. Um, but I will say that to, to the end to the end result of like youth having it a little bit harder, I have worked 
hard. And I'm not saying, Casey, you're wrong. You're, you're right. In some ways, it is harder because we have seen some attacks on our LGBTQ uh, nibblings, siblings, younger generations. When I worked at the L.A. Gay and Lesbian Center, they had uh, in one of their buildings, they ha- had housing available for unhoused youth because when some folks come out in their younger years, they're, and they get they're kicked thrown out, out of parents, their house. Yeah. They end up homeless or unhoused in bigger cities. L.A. wasn't unique in that, but I, I saw it every day, had to see how what what the end result is when you don't have love, unconditional love for your own family members. And they end up in that in that space, having to make some some very dangerous and like JT said, risky decisions for their lives. And even now, just um Within the last, you know, year, we have seen here in Las Cruces at our school board, people coming to a school board meeting to protest against being able to have gender equity in our schools for our youth. And it broke my heart that we had to walk them to their cars after that meeting so they can get there safely. Right. That is terrible. That says, I love Las Cruces to pieces, but that aspect of it, that is terrible. And that's a shameful mark on our community that someone would be so bent on curtailing someone else's ability to live their authentic and beautiful life the way they need to, the way they want to. And that policy was very controversial at the time. Yes, it was, and it shouldn't have been. What is what is so upending about someone who is able to about, live and About supporting freely? students who, you know, identify one way or another. Or no way, you know. However they need to identify, they should just be able to go to school and learn. So the work isn't done for me. I'm a board member of Equality New Mexico. I do that proudly. I do that for the next generation, for Casey and the millions of other Casey's who are going to come forward. I do that for the JTs and the uh, million other JTs that are that are going to live their life authentically as well. Um, so I try to do this work for the next generations and continue to do that hard work until my last breath because it is important to me and it brings me joy because when I go to Pride and I see drag queens, oh my God, they bring me so much joy to be able to break that binary and, and just live and be. It is so beautiful uh, for young kids to be able to just be in the house and be supported. That is beautiful to me. So I will continue to do this work and savor in that joy that it brings me to see and be able to see folks living the best their best lives and thrive. I've written a lot about trans issues, though not recently. JT, you've been a part of at least two of those stories. How have things changed since we last spoke? So first, I just want to start off with saying, like, you know, my experience is is not the only experience, right? Um, I've had a lot of privileges with my transition. People that transition immediately, like, into the male um, category, they get more privileges than my trans siblings um, that don't identify on on that part of the spectrum. And also, um, I have, you know, I've been part of studies. I've been 
part of conversations, part of panel discussions, and I've heard about some of the experiences of my trans siblings, and, and I'm lucky enough to say I, I haven't experienced all this direct hate. As far as like things and you know changing, there's just there is more awareness out in the media now about trans um, transgender issues, rights um, that that. Are, you know, up for grabs that are up for discussion. Um, whether or not I, I mean, I hate the bathroom discussion, but whether or not I deserve to pee in, you know, in a private manner, just like everybody else, um, without being thrown out. So there's definitely more awareness. I also feel like the awareness has brought up the conversations enough for younger people to, and older people, right, uh, to, to think about it themselves, to express themselves in a different manner. Um, I feel like maybe to empower other people, right? Um, a lot has happened since I first came out in 2013. And, I've, and what I'm seeing is almost like a lot of people, especially during COVID, a lot of young people were um, behind their screens researching a little bit more and stepping into their power about who they are and in the individuals that we are, right? And I think uh, I see, what I'm seeing is a lot of people not conforming to the binary of male and female. I'm seeing a lot more people expressing themselves, I would say, like in the spectrum of it, you know, in, in the gray part. And and how liberating that must be for so many individuals that were so confined for so much of their lives. Um, so I see a lot of people coming out more, more. I also see now, you know, from social media, I see also, I also see more aggressiveness against us. But at the same time, I see a lot of people stepping into themselves and, and that's been beautiful to witness. And can we, talk about pronouns. I know there's a little bit of a learning curve for people trying to adjust to new pronouns. And what has your experience been like? Casey, I'd like to start with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I remember um, not too far after I had come out as gay, I, I was entertaining the idea of using um different sets of pronouns and I have two aunts who are English professors up in Albuquerque and I remember telling them that I wanted to use they them pronouns we were in the middle of a restaurant and they told me that they them pronouns were like unacceptable like two queer English professors were like they them pronouns unacceptable that's plural I'm not going to ruin my grammar for you and I remember standing up in the middle of this restaurant and I screamed at the top of my lungs and I was like if you're not going to respect me I'm not going to respect you got it my dude because they're both queer women and they hate being referred to as dude um, and it was it was a jab at them because they they were in their fifties having beef with like a fifteen year old, and I was like, "That's how I'm going to get them." I've uh, I've probably taken classes with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and 
the conversation that I've heard around pronouns has been like very much the same. Surrounding it, they them pronouns are ungrammatical, which is entirely false. Um, they them pronouns have been used since like the 1600s as a singular pronoun. But a lot of the conversation I've heard is like, oh my gosh, my grammar, my grammar, and it's. There is a learning curve to it, and everyone learns at a different pace. And I think it's important that we offer them that grace. But also, that grace can only be extended so far, because if we continue to refer to our queer people using the wrong pronouns or invalidating their the way they feel on the inside, like, that that's us putting them in immediate danger because who who are we to say that like no you can't identify in this way no i'm not going like it's the same as like if a like if you were like on the phone with someone and you were like oh ma'am and they're like actually i'm a man and it's like oh well sorry um you just like correct yourself and i think it's really important that we we offer grace but we also let people know how important it is that we that we use these correct pronouns because my pronouns um i go by any pronouns as long as they come from a respectful place it's not that I don't care about how I am referred to. It's just that I understand that people are going to perceive me in a certain way, and that may not line up with the way that I perceive myself or I want them to perceive me. But ultimately, I, I'm in that gray space. And so however you want to refer to me, I'm comfortable with, um, as long as you're not, like... Um, yeah, so usually I put my pronouns in, like, Zoom meetings, like, after my name, just to, like, let people know. Um, and they're in no particular order. I switch them up every time. Um, it's just to, like, let people know and, like, to start that conversation about pronouns. Because while we're learning about pronouns from, like, a very young age, it may not be... It may not make sense for everyone, and I... I'm able to have those conversations with people. So I want to be able to have those conversations with people. And I think I it, it like you said, uh, going back to, to earlier, I think it just comes down to being respectful and, and having the right intention. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Kat? You know, I can, I can speak from, or, or um, my perspective would be like, yes, there is grace that you give, like Casey had mentioned to people, but it only goes so far. Um, I don't understand why anybody has to be the gatekeeper, the ultimate gatekeeper of somebody else's uh, pronouns or living in their authenticity. It seems silly to me that someone would get mad over or have any kind of beef with. But, you know, again, that's probably coming from a space that's not going to be respectful so that it's not. So their perception of who they're dealing with is already going to be skewed and you'll have to take a step back and deal with them in a certain way. So that being said, from a person who is also, you know, dealing with um a flexibleness of of individuality and with how people identify themselves you know i have caught myself um misgendering or misusing pronouns but the lesson for me is take ownership of it be respectful 
um, and move on and move forward in a respectful and correct manner to the individual. A great, great sure. example of that is recently Lizzo in her lyrics for the song Girls, she changed because of some feedback about being ableist. So she listened to the feedback, she acknowledged it, and she made the correction that needed to be made. She re-released, she changed the lyrics, re-released the song. That is an example of being an ally to any marginalized community or an oppressed community. And that's how we should, I hope, that we would all endeavor to be just like that. See, see uh, feedback or listen to feedback, take it in, acknowledge it, and just make the, make the adjustment that needs to be made. JT, we've certainly talked a lot about your pronouns privately, and I think that we've respected them in our, our coverage in the Sun News. Talk to me about, about this issue and, and what it means to you. It's it's interesting, you know. Um, I think I, when I see JT, people calling me JT and, and using masculine pronouns, it's, it still feels good. Um, it's it's still a reminder every time that people are acknowledging me as I wish to be. Yes, it's very empowering. Um, my I have family members that have not been able to adjust. Uh, they still use female pronouns or refer to my birth name. Sometimes called a dead name. Uh-huh. And it's it's surprising, you know, because they, it's, 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 you know, they're my closest relatives. And I'm not, and, and it's just very surprising because it's like, mom, can't you see, like, I don't look like, you know, a girl. Why are you, but, uh, why do you yeah, why do you keep sister, calling me that? Yeah, and then and then her sisters <laughs> and then her sisters have so easily been able to, you know, transition to JT and male pronouns, but my mom and her um, husband are very stuck in the 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 in, my, in who I used to be, right? Or how they how they continue to see me and, and that's just um, it's very Harmful. I don't think people realize how harmful it can be to the person that is trans. And I think, I think it's easier for me because I've always known you as JT. And I can understand that side, right? I can take time to understand that side. However, in the best interest of everybody, I mean, it doesn't help. If, if nobody's going to take ownership of it and and go ahead and honor a person's respect and, and dignity that they deserve. Right. Um, and so that's I think that's where the discussion about pronouns is, is that people may be may have learned or heard from the person that they're talking to, like, hey, I don't appreciate being referenced in that way. Oh, and they'll still keep doing it. That's intent. That speaks a lot about their intentions then. Um, you know, that you don't matter enough to me. It doesn't take much. Casey also pointed out too, like, if, if there's, if we grow up in an environment where our pronouns are honored, where our names are honored, where our existence is honored, it changes so much as far as our outlook, our mental outlook. Also, you know, how we feel about ourselves, right? And, and then it lowers our chances about harming ourselves. Uh, whether it be self-harm, like, you know, through cutting or through, through, um, through att- attempts at suicide. 
Yeah, and addiction. Yeah, yeah, many things. I have I, I think what I would ask for more is more stories about us every single day, where it's not sensationalized, where it's not something about something so dreadful, um, where we're just being the human beings that we are, the normal human beings that we are. My existence is being trans is probably the most exciting thing about me. Really, that's it. You know, it's like it's it's I'm not that great of a person, right? You know, I uh, I'm just a normal human being, and I happen to be trans. It, it'd just be nice to like uh, focus on us, our community, every single day, rather than and 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 just how normal it would be. Just open up a paper, op- story online, where it's not, you know, by some algorithm. You know, just just. If we had stories about us since we were kids in in grade school and in our books, we wouldn't be carrying so much this internalized homophobia that we have on or queerphobia, as Kat mentioned. You know, um, I I truly believe that. I've been also associated with speaking about mental health. These are the things I like to bring a voice to um, because of the internalized stigma, because we've been told to be quiet about it. It's very empowering. I have family members that have not been able to adjust. Uh, they still use female pronouns or refer to my birth name. You're uh, sometimes called a dead name. Uh-huh. And it's it's surprising, you know, because they, it's, 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 you know, they're my closest relatives. And I'm not, and, and it's just very surprising because it's like, mom, can't you see, like, I don't look like, you know, a girl. Why are you? But, uh, right. You know, so, so that probably makes it harder for them to adjust also, I would suspect. I don't know. Sure. And I can understand that side, right? I can take time to understand that side. However, in the best interest of everybody, I mean, it doesn't help. No. Nobody's going to take ownership of it and, and go ahead and honor a person's respect and dignity that they deserve. Right. I completely Um, agree. Right. And so that's, I think that's where the discussion about pronouns is, is that people may be, may have learned or heard from the person that they're talking to like, Hey, I don't appreciate being referenced in that way. Oh, and they'll still keep doing it. That's intent. That speaks a lot about their intentions then. Right. Um, You know, that you don't matter enough. And it, it goes back to what Casey was saying about, harmful intentions you know like just being respectful of the person who says please refer to me this way right doesn't take much casey also pointed out too like if if there's if we grow up in an environment where our pronouns are honored where our names are honored where our existence is honored it changes so much as far as our outlook our mental outlook also you know um how we feel about ourselves right and and then it lowers our chances about harming ourselves, uh, whether it be sure. harm, like, you know, through cutting or through, through, um, att- addiction, suicide. Yeah. yeah. And addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Many things. Um, looking ahead, what should we as a newspaper still work toward building upon? Jeez. That's the, that's a huge question. Uh, Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. It, I have, I, I think what I would, ask for more is more stories about us every single day where it's not sensationalized, where it's not something about something so dreadful, um, where we're just being the human beings that we are, the normal human beings that we are. Personified. Right, right, right. 
being trans is probably the most exciting thing about me. Really, that's it. You know, it's like it's, I'm not that great of a person, right? You know, I, uh, I'm just a normal human being, and I happen to be trans. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, I I totally agree. And it would be great to write a story about you that is not a story about you being trans. Yeah. <laughs> It'd just be nice to like uh, focus on normalizing our community. Yeah, every single day, rather than and 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 just how normal it would be. Just open up a paper, op- story online where it's not, you know, by some algorithm. You know, just just that if we had stories about us since we were kids in in grade school and in our books, we wouldn't be carrying so much this internalized homophobia that we have on or queerphobia, as Kat mentioned. You know. It, and I, I and JT, that. I will cop to that. The only time that we've ever written about you is because you are trans. And that yes. that is maybe a bug in the machine. Maybe that's a flaw in uh, a design flaw. Yeah, there's. I've been also associated with speaking about mental health. And these are the things I'd like to bring a voice to because of the internalized stigma. Um, because we've been told and they they need to be talked about but we also don't need to just like seek out trans people to talk about trans issues maybe they should be talking about other things right i love music right you know and (laughs) i could tell you a lot about music but you know nobody's like seeking my opinion on that right Uh, right (laughs) anyone else um i kind of want to piggyback off of what jt was saying um i think queer stories by queer people um there there isn't a lack of of queer people out here in the community who 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 write or who who are involved within the community who who can tell these stories um and i understand that people want to hear about things that um can be sensationalized like like when people come out as trans like that can be so sensationalized but like living as a trans person or living as a gay person like oh my gosh like that's that that can be so sensationalized but like it's not sensational like that's my every day like i'm i'm living my life as like a queer person every day and um like i want to i want to see like it's while it's a very important part of who I am and how I operate and how I move through life, um, it's, like, not this sensational aspect of me. And so, like, I would like to see, like, just ordinary people, like, doing ordinary things that happen to be queer. Um, Because I think so often we're so caught up in this, like, oh, my gosh, this person was born as this and then they transitioned to this or oh my gosh this person like this person is a man and they like men or this woman likes women and we get so caught up in that rhetoric but it's like yeah i i totally agree and i think that it's real easy to kind of cheapen the story by by latching onto that yeah it's just like so easy to latch onto it and i i i get it like it's not not everyone experiences um, life through the same lens that I do. Not everyone um, is queer, but it feels a little like dehumanizing or a little like tokenizing when all the stories we hear about are like, X does this, 
because they're trans or X does this because they're gay. And it's like, is that really what happened? Or are we just like choosing one of their identities to focus in on and not the multitude of um, identity and culture that they hold within themselves? This is very similar to the conversation we're having in the newsroom right now around homelessness and not including homeless voices in the uh, larger conversation. Um, so I would say, like, yes, there's aspects of that. Um, and, you know, to be fair, Damien, I understand that there is a balance of running a business, you know, i.e. selling subscriptions or having ads based on clicks. And for that, there has to be a, a sense of what is what are people going to read and what is going to bring, bring in that revenue versus the type of story that you as a journalist and your staff want to do, you know, to that end, I think we've heard clearly, like, we don't, we don't want to do the oppression Olympics. We don't only want to be heard during June. We don't only want to have um, queer stories when there's a tragedy, when there's, uh, you know, when you need a voice to tag onto or localizing a national queer issue. And while that is still going to be the case, that's not the only time that you can come to the community. And to Casey's point, that's because we have these intersections. We are also impacted by inflation. We are also impacted by gas prices. We're also impacted by you know, COVID, we're all of the, the things that everybody else is impacted by, we are too. Just no one ever comes to us during that time frame to see how that intersection happens. And one of the biggest ones, at least for me right now, because it's the work that I do, but also as a queer and a queer person and as a woman, like how Roe impacts queer rights. And that's such a huge thing for me because I'm saying if it's chipped away one place, certain that's- that's that's a whole other podcast. Oh yes, no, that is that not. is enormous. You know, Oh, yes. No, absolutely. But, you know, to the point is that we are impacted by so many other things. Just nobody ever comes to look to us to get that piece. And that that almost makes it like we are going to be consistently siloed for one one point or one lens and one lens only. And then the other thing to Casey's point is um, it would be great. And I know, again, it's a it's a business decision, but having a stringer or a queer staff member who can pick up on some of the nuances of stories that do happen for that lens. Because, you know, as much as I love you, Damien, um, you might miss something in a conversation that someone else sure, pick up sure. and follow through on. Yeah, as a, as, a, as a straight cis guy, I probably will. Sure. So, the, I mean, so that's what I would, that's my two vessels are two cents and if you count inflation now it's my three dollars <laughs> your two cents went up to three bucks jt yes i think it's important referencing your homelessness part you need for whoever you're going to be writing about you should always have a voice about i mean i'm essentially homeless right now right why am i not part of that conversation i can give my two cents about it um a queer voice should always be part of any story I feel right. We're it, we're so much in society, right? I would just echo what uh, what was already mentioned. I, I really don't have much to add. Yeah. Does anyone have anything you want to add that I haven't asked you about? What I want to add is, like, as an ending piece, is um, queer history is our history. Queer history is your history. Um, queer people have been on the front lines. They've been doing the work. They've been doing this advocacy work for generations. 
And it isn't fair to put them on the sidelines and to just give us June because we we were queer 365 days of the year. Um, and we've been doing the advocacy for literal generations. And um, the first Pride started because that advocacy work needed to be done in that moment. There was no other option. And that's, that's what Stonewall is. Stonewall, as we know it, started as a riot. It happened because people spoke up. Spoke up and, and fought back. Um, I think the only thing that I would add uh, that we haven't, I mean, we've talked a little bit about youth, but I think Casey is a beautiful point that we aren't really shifting some focus to the youth as much as we should. And even though there's this like societal thought process that the older you are, the most more wise you are, Casey has really shown up today to say like, we can learn from our next generation. We sometimes we need to shut our pie holes and and listen in on what it is that they have to bring to the table. And I would absolutely love a second podcast just to learn for for our community to learn a little bit more about La Vida Project and House of Galo because they are amazing. JT? To piggyback off of that, I I think interview other people, uh, you know, for these occasions like this. And I know that Las Cruces is like who you know, but the conversation, there is, there's there are many people to pull stories from. Um, there are a lot of strengths in our younger community. And to find those voices would enrich our community even more and broaden, I think, our views of ourselves. Because I feel sometimes we're limited by the voices that keep Surfa- the story. surfacing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And again, I'll take some credit for that or or blame, I suppose, might be a better word because, you know, I, I go back to the people that I know I've got a relationship with and they trust me and I want to tell the stories accurately. I, I totally get that. And, um, and probably, I probably, you know what I should have done? I should have said, you know what, let me think of like these young people and then you can go ask these questions to them. You know, um, that's, it's usually, it's really important for somebody like me, like, or those of us that have had the spotlight on us before to pass the mic. And I am glad that uh, Casey is with us today. And, um, but I I tell you what, (laughs) it's the younger people that have very, some very interesting stories. And, and I would love to, for our city, our town, our community to focus on, on these stories, um, lift their voices up. Yeah, I totally agree. And as a reporter, it it kind of comes down to making those connections. And Kat, I thank you for kind of helping out in that regard. You're you're so welcome. I've been so impressed with Casey and La Vida Project and all of the work that they're doing. And JT's absolutely right. Um, next time, Damien, when you reach out, I will lovingly pass the mic and find another voice that we need to hear from who has a, a more spectacular and more amazing story to tell. I, I want to step in here real quick. Um, yes, we need to pass the mic on to the younger generation, but also it is okay to hold on to that mic and continue telling your story because your story is how we learn and your story has informed how we live today. And you guys do have these fantastic and amazing stories and 
I constantly look to my queer elders to see what it's like to have that experience and to live a true and authentic queer life um, far beyond just, like, going to the club and, like, taking shots and tipping drag queens. While that's important that we tip our drag queens, um, like, I look to you guys for, like, that that domestic queerness and so many other younger queer people do too. And so while it's important that we, we, we pass on the mic, I think it's a little bit more important that we share the mic and we share this stage. I generally agree with that. And just because JT shared his story five years ago and four years ago and today, that doesn't mean everybody knows JT's story. Things get missed. So I'd, I'd welcome all of you back, including JT. <laughs> Great, thank you. <laughs> I guess, you know, just being part of the queer community, I, I just see so many queer people every day, right? And I just assume all these people know everybody in the queer community, but uh, thank you for these opportunities, Damien. I, I certainly would welcome introductions. We would always accept your call, Damien and Casey. <laughs> I now need a shirt that says, uh, it's important to tip your drag queens. So uh, that needs to happen. <laughs> oh boy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the reporter's notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces sun news. A huge thanks goes out to JT Kat and Casey for joining us this week. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks to KOB4 in Albuquerque for the audio we used in this episode. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com for all of us at the Sun News. Thank you for the privilege of your time. <laughs> <laughs>